0: I can remember when I was a kid visiting my Uncle Pete in Detroit. He was an auto executive. And he brought me into his office and he showed me his Watts line. That particular phone I could call anywhere in the United States for free. It blew my mind away as a young boy that there could be a phone like that. (laughs) Long distance was very expensive back in those days. And, uh, yeah, you remember the uh, idea that back in that day we only really had two ways to communicate. Uh, Basically, it was face-to-face or over the phone. So teenagers love to talk to their friends, right? So you remember battles with your parents about, Get off the phone! Somebody's trying to call! You're on the phone for hours and hours! (laughs) Teenagers would just hang on the phone uh, forever. We don't have that problem today because everybody has their own phone. Three-year-olds have their own phone. Everybody is reachable 24/7, and we're texting back and forth and back and forth. I wasn't part of the texting generation until about two weeks ago, when a revelation was given to me by Pastor uh, that guy, <laughs> Pastor Rich. And he told me, "Pray for me, okay?" Uh, Pastor Rich told me uh, he reminded me that I could actually speak into the phone for a text message, you know, uh, vocal recognition. And when I, got, I've been texting all over the place, man. I tell you what, I got a whole new life ahead of me uh, with text messages. When I get when I got a text message in the past, I said, "Oh." How do I respond to that? Because I don't want to be typing and stuff like that. And another advent of communication is the Internet. And, of course, you know, we have uh, instant messaging, and you got Spike. i got a phone recently where I can actually do Google Talk, where I can talk to someone and they can see me, and I can see them if they're using the same software. It just is amazing. We have so many creative ways to talk with one another. But but the cornerstone is still there. You need feedback if you're going to communicate with someone. So you say something, and they have to give you feedback in order for us to have a normal conversation, even if it's sense of messaging or texting back and forth. There has to be feedback. And the challenge that we have in learning how to pray is there's not typically instantaneous feedback we're praying to God we know he's there but we don't hear him we don't see him now certainly God speaks to us through impressions in our mind some people feel that God speaks to them within their mind Uh, God speaks to us through his word God speaks to us through other believers But it's not an instantaneous type of thing. And that's why prayer really is a foreign language. It's another type of foreign language. And if you ever learned a foreign language, it takes a lot of work, right? But we need to learn how to pray. We need to learn how to connect with God in this important way. And we're going to be studying over the next three weeks the Lord's Prayer that you are so familiar with. In fact, Why don't we, uh, well, let's uh, wait a moment here. But uh, in Luke 11, 1, uh, we see that the disciples were wanting to know how to pray. Now, the disciples knew how to pray. They were trained prayer warriors. They had been taught by their parents and their culture how to pray. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When He finished, one of His disciples said to Him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. They noticed something different about the way Jesus prayed. They had a bunch of memorized prayers that they would say, but they noticed that Jesus prayed in a totally different way. Jesus had a free-flowing type of prayer. And they wanted to have that type of prayer for themselves. So Jesus gave them this prayer, the Lord's Prayer. Let's recite it together. Our Father in heaven... Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now I am sure there are some of you who have said Lord Prayer thousands. Of times over the period of your life. Maybe you're part of a tradition where that was taught that you always should be saying the Lord's Prayer. It's important for us to understand about the Lord's Prayer that it's not magical in some way, that if we just say the Lord's Prayer, good things are going to come into our lives. We also need to realize that it's just not a rote type of prayer. Or if we just pray it, we Get our duty done and we get brownie points with God. The Lord's Prayer is a model for prayer. It's okay to pray the Lord's Prayer if you sincerely are praying and understanding what you're saying, but the intention was it was a teaching tool for the disciples and for us today to understand what prayer is all about, what the essence of prayer is. Communication with God. And there are so many deep insights in this prayer, as hopefully we'll recover in a short period of time over the next three weeks, that will help us to grow in our prayer lives. Another thing we need to remember is that we are all beginners in prayer. All beginners. I don't care if you've been a Christ follower for 50 years or you've been a Christ follower for just a month. We are all beginners. It's a lifelong journey because prayer is the gateway into a relationship with God, deepening that relationship. So as you continue to learn and grow in how to experience God in your prayer life, it should go deeper and deeper and deeper. And when you think about what it means to have union with Christ, you're just a beginner, no matter how well you feel you've grown in this area of your prayer life. Another thing we need to realize is that our prayer life is inseparable from our spiritual growth. If you are not growing in your prayer life, you are not really spiritually growing. If you're not growing in your prayer life, you're not really spiritually growing. So many Christians I find, including myself, we plateau at different points in our prayer life. And we do prayer the same way we did five years ago. And that's a problem. Because if we're experiencing a relationship with Christ, our prayer life should be evolving. And as our prayer life evolves and grows deeper, our spiritual life evolves and grows deeper. They go hand in hand. And that's why prayer is such a critical, critical piece of our spiritual experience. And the most important thing that I want you to understand about prayer is, is, is that it's experiencing Jesus. Okay? Prayer is experiencing Jesus. It's being with Jesus. Now, many people don't pray in that way. They have their laundry list of all the requests, and that's fine. God loves to hear your requests. They're always active in prayer, and they're just kind of doing it like they do everything else in life, and they're doing it with the right motives, but they're not really seeking to experience Jesus. They're not really trying to sense His presence, becoming more aware of who He is and the role that He plays in His life, and they're not feeling. We need to learn to feel God in our lives. We need to feel His love, His forgiveness, His grace. We need to experience Him. And that's really what we're talking about here, is really honing in and say, okay, how are we going to experience God through prayer? Well, Jesus continues talking to His disciples about prayer. And when you pray, do not like, be like the hypocrites. But they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth. They have received their reward in full. Now, these were the religious leaders. It was common to stop and pray at different times in the day. And it could be street corners or synagogues. That was kind of the common place to pray. And that, there was no problem with that. That was a good thing to do if you had the right motive. But the religious leaders, you know, they would make sure to stop at the busiest street corner, they'd hurry over there so people could see them praying, and they'd go to the busiest synagogue in order that they might be glorified, one might say, by those around them, saying, oh, how holy they are, how wonderful their prayers are. And they got their reward on earth because God's not rewarding them for that type of prayer, for that type of motive. No, they didn't receive anything from that. Understanding the background here is so critical to looking at the Lord's Prayer, understanding the Jewish culture. You've got to realize that these people were devoted to prayer. We are prayer wimps compared to at least the exercise of prayer. Back in that day, they quoted the Shema like we talked about last week, the great commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind, the theme verse of our heart-strong vision. Uh, They quoted that twice a day. Then three times a day they had fixed-hour prayer. Remember we talk about our daily office, praying at a certain time of day for a certain amount of time, focusing on the experience with Christ. Well, they had that three times a day. Then they would pray through 18 benedictions. Different types of prayers, but they would memorize those and just say them three times a day. Then they had multitudes of numbers of written prayers that they had for any type of occasion that you could think of. If you were moving into a new home, they had a prayer for it. If you were moving out, they had a prayer for it. If you got good news, you had a certain prayer, you had to pray. If you got bad news, you had a certain prayer, you had to pray. And it was just going to the motions for most Jews, just memorizing all these prayers that the religious leaders had put together. And they prayed a lot! They really, really prayed a lot. But again, there was something so different about the way Jesus prayed. Jesus was a free-flowing type of prayer. He didn't use those written prayers. He just talked with God. He didn't have to have certain places where He prayed. He prayed on mountains, and He prayed in valleys, and He prayed on boats, and He prayed in synagogues, and He had very short prayers, like on the cross. He had very emotional prayers, like in the Garden of Gethsemane. He had very long prayers. He prayed all night on many occasions. Jesus Christ was in union with the Father, in constant communication with them. And the disciples watched this. And they said, Jesus, help us, help us to pray. Teach us the way that you pray because it's so different from what we've grown up with, what we've been taught to do. Show us how to pray. That's, of course, what Jesus Christ does. Matthew 6, 7, and 8, he goes on to tell them, And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Pagans in that day would take one phrase And they would repeat it over and over and over and over and over and over and over again, thinking that that would get the attention of their God. Now, Jesus Christ said, don't pray in that way. He says, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. That's a really comforting verse right there, isn't it? God knows all of your needs for this next week. He knows needs that you don't even know you need yet. He knows every need you have, emotionally, physically, spiritually. He knows them all. And He has this incredible love for you. And you say, well, if He knows them all, why do I even have to pray? Well, as we know, the critical catalyst in the Christian life to make things happen is faith. God values faith above everything. He knows it all, but in order to engage him we have to exhibit faith in him, trust in him, saying, God, these are all the needs that I have this week. This is where I'm struggling, this is where I've got challenges, this is where I need wisdom and this is where I need energy. And once you ask Him, once you depend upon Him, that's when the resources are released. And then there's bonuses. He gives you resources you don't even know you need, but you've got to initiate. If you don't initiate, He's not going to deliver. That's seen over and over in the teachings about prayer. So we need to exhibit faith in God. That He knows all we need. That's very meaningful. And in Matthew 6, 6, he says, But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So, he's saying, what you need to do is you need to get alone." There was a storage room in most Jewish homes that was locked. It had different household tools and things that were needed for the home things that might have been valuable. And he says, go in that storeroom and get alone from everybody. And he's kind of contrasting the Pharisees who are doing public, nothing wrong with public prayer, but he's saying, listen, if you really want to connect with me, get alone in the storeroom and spend time with me. And your reward will be from the Father from the things that flow your way because of your faith and prayer. And during our Emotional Healthy series series, Emotional Healthy Spirituality Series last fall, we talked a lot about the daily office. And we're going to continue to talk about that and challenge you because it's part of our heart-strong vision. The daily office is similar to devotions and quiet time. It's a little bit different, though, because with the daily office, it's a fixed time, like every morning, whenever you have that opportunity, 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock, 7 o'clock, whatever. You take a certain amount of time. And it's a fixed time that you spend with God. It's an appointment with God. And if you already have that, that's great. I would encourage you to start another office in the evening or at lunch, whenever it works out for you 15, 20, 30 minutes, whatever works for you. But start an office when you focus in on God and experiencing Jesus. And what's going to happen is is those fixed times are going to flow into your daily life in terms of a continual relationship and dialogue with God. Uh, The daily office, again, is focusing on experience. Experiencing God. Listening to Him. Having FaceTime with Him. So let's go over just some steps here. I want to encourage you this week to engage in a regular daily office if you don't have that. Uh, or at a daily office? First of all, you need to stop. And that is the most difficult thing to do in having a daily office, is to stop. I don't know about you, but I get up and my mind starts to run. My mind starts to think through the day. My mind starts to think about what what needs to happen. What do I need to do to get out of the house? And I'm just kind of overwhelmed. In fact, a couple days this week, I, I'm getting up early because my mind's working too hard. <laughs> <laughs> saying, Lord, give me rest. You know you know how that is, right? We've all been there. Uh, and so our minds are running. And, and if we're depending on ourselves, we're not going to stop. Because we've got to get the work done. We've got so much to do. We don't have enough time to get everything done we need to get done if we're depending on ourselves. But I tell you what, if you are walking with Jesus, if Jesus is the one you're depending upon, you're going to stop. Because you know that that time invested in checking in with Him, getting in line with Him for that day, you can walk with Him, He live through you for that day, is going to multiply the rest of your day. You know that if you really are trusting in Christ. You don't stop if you're trusting in yourself. You're saying, well, that's just wasted waste of time. Well, you don't understand. You need to learn. That's the most important time. So you stop. The second thing you do is you center We talked about this last fall, the idea of just slowing down our minds. Really, it's meditation. Meditation is pretty much the same across the world for different religions, those type of things. The idea of slowing down, but the critical difference here is that we're focusing on the real God. And and, and the purpose of meditation, the purpose of uh, centering, one might say here, is just to slow down your mind because you're going so fast. And just to, to think... About God, coming into His presence, being aware of Him. Because we can't be aware of God on the run. God is not like a, a McDonald's breakfast sandwich that you can pick up and run with. You've got to stop, okay, and experience Him. You've got to devote time to Him. Here are some centering phrases that you can use just for a minute or two, just before you pray. The Lord is my shepherd. Lord, here I am. Not my will, but Yours. I'm listening, Lord. Come, Lord Jesus. Abba, Father. I cast all my anxieties upon Him. Just think about that and just slow down the engine. Slow down your mind to focus on the most important relationship that you have in life. How many have been doing that more since our series? you made that part of your regular time? That's great. And hopefully as a... The months and years roll by, we'll have more people raise their hand because this really is important in connecting with God. Uh, the next thing here is we need to have silence. God speaks through whispers. And He can't speak to you if you're running a 1,000 miles an hour. Uh, then we need Scripture. We need to meditate upon Scripture and just let it sink into our souls and let it uh, permeate us and become a part of... Of who we are. This daily office is not a legalistic thing. All we're saying is is that in order for you to cultivate a relationship with God, you have to spend time with Him. I mean, think about when you were dating uh, your bride and how much time you spent with Him. I think of Lori here. and uh, you know, We would go out for three hours somewhere and then we'd come home and sit on the phone and talk for three hours. <laughs> you know? It was... It was a continual date, you know, 24-7. Whenever we could talk to each other, we weren't with each other. We were thinking about each other, you know. Uh, that's that, that's the nature of dating. And you need to date God. That, in fact, that's what our date night challenge is about, right? I want to encourage you to come out this Friday. Now, we've only got 15 couples, and I know a lot more than 15 couples need some time together. So let's step it up, guys. Pull that uh, insert. Everybody, look in your program right now, especially you men. Men, take some leadership here. Pull the date night challenge or insert out. I want you to fill that out, and we're going to have our ushers at the back doors. You can drop your offering in. You can drop this insert in or other inserts. But the date night challenge, men, you're going to turn this one in because you're going to take leadership in your marriage. And Unless you have another date scheduled or you can't make it this Friday, we want you to be here because this is something that's Chicago-wide. You can look on the Internet. You can download the app. You've got to take leadership, men, and the idea is to have like three dates in a period of a month, I don't have that much money. It can be very, very inexpensive uh, just to spend time. Uh, just get outside the house, uh, maybe go down to the neighbor's house, <laughs> outside the house and just talk to each other. That's, that's the essence of what a date is. Uh, so, amen, that's how you can revive your marriage. That's how you can feed your marriage. And in the same way, if we're going to have a deep relationship with God, we need to date God. We need to spend time with Him. We need to enjoy Him. We need to enjoy His presence. And that all happens through the daily office. Let's talk about the prayer here. Uh, We're just going to talk about really the first two words. Our Father. Our Father in Heaven. Four words. Our Father in Heaven. Now, listen very closely. This is the foundation of of your prayer life the foundation of your prayer life is how you view god what's your image of god where'd you pick up your idea of who god was and what he's like and what he's like to spend time was with was it from uh no, everybody picked up some type of image from god from their parents and the church that you grew up in maybe they taught you a very healthy God-based image of God? Or maybe they were way, way off. I don't know. You picked it up from the media. But you right now have an image of God. Even though you're a Christ follower, maybe for years, your image of God is, I know, is skewed to some degree because the whole Christian life is discovering who God is. Who is. What is your image of God? you ever been on a highway and all of a sudden traffic slows down quite a bit and you're wondering, what is going on? Why? why? And all of a sudden... You see a police car up there. And he's going just right at the speed limit. And everybody's afraid to pass him. Right? So you're sitting there. And, and, and if you're the guy in front, you're wondering should I pass him? Okay, I mean, he's going right at the speed limit, so he's one of these guys that will catch you for one after. He's, he's just waiting for somebody to pass him, and you get all anxious. And he's going to run my plates. Is there anything? I'm, you know, my record that I should be concerned about? I got my seatbelt on. You know, you get all. <laughs> and finally, you decide to make the move. You know, you kind of inch past him very slowly. You don't look at him. <laughs> You cry then once you get the courage, other people say, It's okay. It's okay. And they all kind of ease past them I got policemen just have a great time with that, you know. (laughs) Is that how you view God? You're just kinda waiting for him to pull you over? You're thinking of all the reasons why he should pull you over. Oh, you got all kinds of reasons. I mean, if he runs your place, man, you're dead. (laughs) Right? Yeah, is that, is that your relationship with God? Well, I tell you what, you cannot be intimate with that type of person. You cannot sense love in that type of person. Or maybe you have a relationship with God where uh, you have a uh, contractual relationship with Him. You say, okay, God, it's great to be a Christ follower. And uh, this is the deal. I obey you. You bless me. This is taught. In many churches, prosperity gospel, health and wealth, I obey you, you bless me. That's the way it works. So it works for a while because you become a Christ follower and all these great things happen and you're just so overwhelmed with the love of God and you walk with him and there's new life you've discovered and you're saying, well, Lord, I'm obeying you, you're blessing me, and you continue to obey him and all of a sudden your life takes a dive. Something really bad happens. And you wonder, God, wait a second, hold on here. I'm obeying you, but you're not blessing me. So, what's the deal? And you know what happens with people like that? They turn away from the church. And they turn away from intimacy with God because they felt that God broke the covenant, the agreement. And that wasn't the case at all. Is that the way you view God? Other people view God as a consultant. They're all about... Self-help. God is the ultimate self-help coach. This is the ultimate self-help book. I'm going to maximize my life and I'm better than anybody else because I've got the real deal. I'm going to push ahead and my life is going to be what everybody else would like their life to be. No, that's not a healthy view of God, is it? No. Because you're not going to have that kind of life that... You're trying to emulate from other people that you see that are following the world's way. Maybe your God is a boss. Maybe you're just kind of a worker in His kingdom. I'm a worker in God's kingdom, and I'm serving really hard out there. And God is my boss. I'm taking His commands. And I know there are a lot of lazy people out there that aren't doing the work of God. They're not serving. They're not engaged. But I'm sticking in there. It's hard. It's painful. People are hard to work with, but I'm going to continue to serve Him. Now, can you be intimate with your boss? Right? Can you have really a close relationship with them, if that's your orientation? I don't think so. The major issue that most people face is it's called projection. You project on God your issues, especially in relationship to your earthly father. What was your earthly father like? Maybe your earthly father was cold. Was distant, or demanding, maybe it was abusive in some way—verbally abusive, emotionally abusive, physically, sexually abusive—extremely traumatic. And you project that upon God. You can't connect with God because of that reason. And here, you got to listen real closely here, all right? you got to forget your earthly father, whoever your father was. I don't care if your father was given the award for number one father in Illinois so many years ago. Just forget your early father. I know it's hard to do, but you got to pray that God will give you that power because God the Father, there is no comparison. Don't even start to compare. I know it's natural, but you've just got to put that out of your mind. No matter how wonderful your father was, don't compare him to God because God is God and He's the ultimate Father, the perfect Father. So as we continue to mature in the Christian life, what's happening is is that we are shedding our image, our false images, of who God is. And you gotta move forward in this area. And the only way to do that is through studying God's word and understanding who our God truly is and the relationship that He really does want with us now this is where it really gets interesting now again back in the day with the israelites throughout the old testament the highest name for god was yahweh yahweh there are a lot of different names for god but that was the highest name and this name was so holy there's only one person who could say it and they spoke it once a year it was the high priest the Holy of Holies when He was atoning for the sins of Israel. That's the only time that name was said. And when the temple was destroyed, it hasn't been said again by Orthodox Jews. You just don't say it. Think about the worst swear word you can imagine. And say, I would never say that word. I would just be so embarrassed and so full of shame if I said that word. Okay. Well, that's the way people felt about Yahweh. Never, never in my life would I say Yahweh. It's just too holy. It's too reverent. It's You just don't address God. Because back in that day, names meant something. So when they were copying the Scriptures, when they came to the word Yahweh, they would put down one pen. They'd take out a special pen. They wouldn't even write out the word Yahweh. They would write certain letters out, but they fill it all with consonants. So it really wasn't the word Yahweh. You couldn't even write the name. It was so holy. And this is really the idea that Israelites had about God, that He was transcendent, mysterious. He was out there. God had a love for them, but there wasn't really a sense of intimacy that people perceived because of the religious leaders and how they taught things and... That kind of thing. And I'm talking mostly about how the Israelites converted the image of God. But this is the way they thought about God. Now, here comes Jesus. And the disciples say, teach us to pray, Lord. And uh, Jesus speaks in Aramaic, the common language of that day. And He says, our Abba. Our Abba. What was Abba? That was an Aramaic word. Probably closest to our word, Daddy. Daddy. So I had that idea of a young child jumping into the lap of their father who loves them so much and that father hugging them and kissing them and just loving on them, having a good time with them. <laughs> I cannot imagine how the disciples felt when they heard this. When God said, Our Abba. Like, what? Daddy? You have got to be kidding me. You don't treat God like that. And of course, I'm sure the religious leaders they found out about this at some point just in terms of how Jesus talked. and well, He's a heretic, you know. He's a blasphemer. It doesn't surprise us that He called God Daddy. Who would call God Daddy? That makes no sense whatsoever. And someone who has no respect for the Scriptures or for God Himself. But that's what Jesus Called the Father. Daddy. And we get to call the Father that too. See, Jesus Christ is a natural son of God. He's God Himself. But at the same time, He's a natural son of God. We're adopted into the family. Okay? We're Jesus Christ's brother. Yeah. Now He's God, but we're His brother. So we have the right to call God Daddy. Intimacy, just as Jesus Christ does. He gave that as a right. God gave that as a right of sonship. So that's how we need to come to Jesus. And the most beautiful beautiful parable that speaks to this that you're very familiar with is the, the parable of the prodigal son. You know that story very well, don't we? About the son who just was incredibly rebellious and... He wanted to take his half of the wealth and he wanted to go live off on his own, not to follow in the family business. And so the father allowed it, the father being God the father in the parable. And so he went off and spent his money and wanton living with women and wine and all kinds of debauchery. And he ran out of money. And his friends, of course, saw he ran out of money, so they ran away from him. And he ended up in a pig Stai, feeding pigs. Not a good place for a Jewish boy to be. And he was sitting there and he was thinking. And finally it dawned on him. It's like, what am I doing here? I would rather be a slave for my father. So he makes a decision to go back to his father. And he's going to just beg his father, oh, please just let me be a slave of yours. And the father, of course, in the parable, sees his son coming toward him. He's been waiting for his son. He sees his son, and he starts to run. And again, in that culture, you did not run if you were a distinguished father, elder. You just didn't do that. It shows, again, who God is and His love for us. So he starts running toward his prodigal son. And his prodigal son, you can imagine, was a mess. He was covered with these old clothes that he had picked up somewhere, and they were covered with pig whatever. <laughs> <laughs> nobody would want to get near this guy like a leper, and the father just puts his arms around him and embraces him and hugs him and kisses him and the original language speaks of kissing 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 just he swallows him up in love this rebellious son who had hurt him so deeply this rebellious son who says, "I hate you father i' I don't want anything to do with you. And he embraces him. And then he puts a robe on him. He said, forget the slave thing. You're going to be my son again. I'm going to put you right back where you were before. And you're going to get the robe and the ring, which signified authority. And you're going to get the sandals. Slave is wearing footwear, but he got his sandals back. And then he threw this big party for this unbelievable feast. So here you have the Father feasting over the Son. This love pouring out everywhere. And, and friends, this is how God feels about you. How do you feel about yourself? I know some of you are pretty down on yourself. Some of you are really, really guilty. Some of you have done certain things that you feel like unforgivable sin. As soon as I did that... You know, I don't get all of God's love. I get plan B package. Or some of you, I'm, I'm on plan uh, X. <laughs> I've done so many bad things, you know. I'm just lucky that God even pays any attention to me whatsoever. That is a lie! That's a lie from Satan! God's love has not changed for you at all. He wants you. He wants to know you. He wants to love you. He wants to uh, swallow you up in his love, and uh, if we just understood that, what a difference it would make in how we treat ourselves. If we if we really appreciated God's love, you know, we would we'd be so much lighter on ourselves in regards to not condemning ourselves and and not feeling the shame that we feel and the guilt that we feel, if we accepted God's forgiveness and really understood His love, I would really encourage you to go back to that prodigal son passage in your daily office and just meditate upon it and drink it in and say, that's me. I'm the prodigal son. I'm the rebellious son. And that's how much God loves me. No matter what mistake you've made, no matter what sin you've committed, that's that's me. And I tell you, for some of you to... Be emotionally healthy again. You're going to have to think about that all year. This is a love year for you. <laughs> you, you find every verse in Scripture that talks about God's love, and you just drink it in. And you meditate upon it. and You say, yes, Lord, you love me. You love me. I hate myself, but you love me. And, and, and once you receive so much of God's love, you're going to start loving yourself because God loves you. You see, the thing we need to understand about God's love is that... Uh, Our love is based on attraction. We love things that are attractive to us. We are attracted to certain people and love them because they're physically attractive. They have a certain personality that attracts us to them. They have a certain style of living that attracts us to them. They have a certain sense of humor that attracts us to them. So we're attracted to them. We're attracted to all kinds of trinkets and toys and things like out there because they're attractive to us. Unattractive things. No anything to do with that. That doesn't satisfy me. But with God, you see, He loves us not because anything that's attractive within us. There's there's nothing attractive within us really, right? Because we're sinful. We're condemned to die. But the love is within Him. The, The love is so deep and so pure that He can love you and I and all of our sin because of the essence of who He is. It's His love. It's nothing that we have to offer. And I we say, well, that's not really fair. Who cares? You know, take it. <laughs> take the love. You know, embrace it. And say, God, You love me. It doesn't matter if I deserve it or not. You love me. And... And I'm just going to accept that and embrace that and I'm going to enjoy that and I'm going to stop listening to all the world and the expectations and what other people think of me and I'm just going to dwell upon Your love. I am going to let it permeate my soul. We look at Romans 8.15. Oh, yeah, I think it is. We have that up there. Romans 8.15 For you did not receive the Spirit that makes you a slave again to fear. But you receive the Spirit of Sonship, and by Him we cry, Abba, Father. You need this stuff. I need it. My challenge for all of us is to spend this week in our daily office and as we go throughout the day is drinking in God's love. You are so thirsty for God's love. And you've been looking in all the wrong places. You look for entertainment. You look for stuff. You look for experiences. Whatever. I mean, you're looking for satisfaction. And satisfaction can only be found in the arms of God and in this incredible love that He has for you. And so if, if, if I don't care where you're at today. You, you, you might be at the breaking point God's love will carry you through. But you've got to focus on it. You've got to think about it. You you just can't keep running and say, That that was great. Boy, that really encouraged me. I was touched by that. Just run right into the rest of your day. You've got to stop. You've got to find some good verses on God's love. On the internet, Bible Gateway, look up God's love. You get tons of verses. The Bible's all about God's love. Friends, this is the gospel. This is. The essence of the Lord's Prayer is the Gospel itself. Why Jesus Christ came down to this earth. Why God asked Him to do that in order that He might express His love to us. And that's what the Lord's Prayer is all about. If you don't get this right, forget the rest of the prayer. There will just be more work for you. If you don't really saturate yourself with God's love, just forget it. Because that's just going to be work. Everything is about the love of God that was expressed through Jesus Christ. That is the Gospel. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank You for moving within my heart. Thank You for teaching me this week I knew about Your love. I pray the same thing for my friends here. So many problems, so many heartaches, so many desperate situations. But I can guarantee them that if they really give their full energies to thinking about how much God loves them this week, it's going to be a better week than if they didn't. I know that. I pray that they would just shut the door. Read the prodigal Son story. Imagine themselves in that situation. That's them. And then help them to think through, to feel. Not just think through not just learn, but to really feel your love. Let's stop playing intellectual games with our Christianity. Let's feel it. Let's experience it. That's when the Christian life really becomes so incredibly satisfying. In Christ's name, Amen. We're going to have a special time of prayer. We're going to do it a little differently this time. I want our prayer team to come up at this time; they'll be praying for you. It's going to be a time of worship. You can do one of three things, or others, if you, whatever you want to do, really. But. <laughs> The first thing is just sit there and soak in God's love. Apply this message, and just think about the prodigal son. Think about God's love, and just forgive yourself. God's forgiving you. Forgive yourself, whatever baggage you have going on in your life. Just forgive yourself and feel His love and His acceptance. And you you don't have have to have any value at all. It's all within Him. Then, uh, secondly, we're gonna have our worship team singing. Sing along. This first song is just so beautiful about God's love. Oh, love is so God's love is so amazing. Now sing that song. You can stay seated, you can stand, whatever you feel comfortable with. If somebody else stands up, don't feel the obligation to stand up. Only if you feel led. Okay? And then the final thing is we'd love to pray for you. We'd love to pray for you. We need to be more of a open church, we need to be more broken as people. We need to realize, hey, we're all struggling here. We've all got issues. We've all got problems. We've all got sins we're battling. We've all got heartaches. You know, come for prayer. You don't even all you, need to see, all you need to say is, pray for me. That's it. Pray for me. That's all we need to know. we'll pray for you. Or pray for strength. Or pray for wisdom. You don't have to go into the details of what issue you're going through. Every one of you could come up today and say, pray for me. Now, if the Lord leads you to do that, and be wonderful. If He doesn't, that's fine. But we just want this to be a corporate time of worship and just experiencing God's love and His grace. And I just pray you'd really feel it. And uh, at the end of the service, I'm going to ask you to leave quietly. And you can, others can stay here and you know, just experience the atmosphere and continue to worship or come for prayer. And then when you do leave, please leave quietly and go out to the atrium again. I'll be starting a uh, prayer meeting around 12:30 or 12:35 in the uh, in the youth room. Just praying for our church. Yesterday morning I said, "Hey, I feel like we need to get together and pray." So there's no child care, I'm sorry, but if you can make it, love to have you. Annual meeting tonight. Please come out to that and uh, let's enter into His presence.